Welcome back to Inside the Pastor's Study Podcast. My name is Pastor Jeremy. And I'm Pastor George. And uh, we are a father-son pastoral team uh, serving a local church north of Boston in Massachusetts. And uh, this podcast is our attempt to help uh, the average person listen in on what happens in the, uh, in the pastor's study throughout the week. We, what do we talk about? What do we think about? Um, what's a pastor's life like when they're not, um, you know, in the midst of uh, preparing for sermons or visiting people or doing all of the things that are stereotypically pastor? What do we, what do we talk about and think about? And uh, what's it like to be hanging out in our office when we're having these conversations? We've been doing this for years, really. Like We've had these moments yeah. where we sit down and we have a conversation about something either in pop culture or in church culture. And uh, we, uh, we've often walked away from those conversations saying, man, I wish that would have been really helpful for somebody to hear. How do we communicate this in the same way? Right? Like, in the old days, this... it was, let's yeah. write a book about this. Yeah, write a yeah. book. Or how do we write, you know, is there, how do we make this into a sermon series? And yeah. Does that work? Mm-hmm. Do we do a, some sort of study? Uh, it's hard. But this format of podcast really kind of makes that easier. So you're getting, um, I don't know, the raw uh, data in our books, I guess, someday, uh, the several books that we've talked about writing. Yeah, you know, it's over the like, years. It's it's the discipleship principle put into it put into into real life. You know, yeah. because the discipleship principle from Deuteronomy six is that it's just let your conversations mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. steer you to Jesus. You yeah. know, it's uh, as you're walking down the road and as you're sitting in your, you know, sitting at the table or whatever, always talk Jesus. And, yeah. And that's kind of, it's kind of what we're doing. Yeah, totally. Which we might actually get this, this that, that jogs my mind. I'll, I'll write it down on my note here. That's, it's almost the, you know, Jesus puts this concept into action really on that road to Emmaus, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, where it just begins on a conversation with a few travelers, ends up with communion. Um, yeah. yeah, we can yeah. we can hit that perhaps later um, in our in in the podcast because we're going to kind of talk about this idea of sharing our faith or share or, or or helping people understand who Jesus is and why they need to know Him. Uh, so, talk about that in a bit. But before we get there, we do want to talk about this week's theological term of the week. Last week, we devoted the entire episode to the theological term of the week. Um, this week, we're going to try and um, not do that. We'll see. These are deep, rich topics, um, but that's the hope, is to hit uh, this week's theological term of the week. And this week, that term is... The theological term of the week. Irresistible grace. Now, last week, we when we hit this... You, we talked about how we have a term that we've used, but may not be a great term. Is that the case for this one too? Like, is irresistible grace really a great term for this concept, or is it something that falls I, I, short? I actually love this term. Yeah, I, I think that this is this says so much about what God has offered to us. It 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 talks about the richness of grace, if mm. you will. Mm-hmm. That. That those who truly understand what they're seeing, there's no way that they would ever turn it down. Mm, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. that's the irresistibility of grace. It's, uh, you know, do you have a choice in it? Sure you do. Yeah. But who's going to choose anything different? But why would you choose other? Yeah. 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 I had this, <clears throat> we had this family friend many, many years ago. This woman lived to be 100 and, 102. 
She was the daughter of one of Thomas Edison's top scientists. And uh, her father actually created um, a doll that Thomas Edison marketed. It was a doll that when you when you turned it over, it had a, a, a tube with a diaphragm in it that when the diaphragm fell through the tube, it would make the sound that sounded a lot like mama. Oh, so I have a deer call like that. Yeah. So he, he <laughs> you know, it's like he, he invented what was called the mama doll. Oh, and yeah. then Mar- he, he, but his copyrights, his patents all belong to, to Edison. So, you know, but she was, she was the daughter of this very brilliant man. Um, and she, she lived alone. She was, uh, she was, for a long time, she was like, when she was in her eighties, she lived in this, this little flat of an apartment that was absolutely, yuck, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, uh, my uncle took care of her a lot. And, uh, one day he came to the house and he was talking to her in her apartment and found out that a radio station had called her and asked her a question. Mm-hmm. And she in her 80s was actually able to answer the question because quite honestly she had lived a you know, life experience kind of a thing. Yeah. And she won a car. Huh. And she hung up on them. <laughs> she turned down the car because... What am I going to do with the you car? Know, what am I going to do with a car? Yeah. And, and you know, my my uncle was like, was like, was like, no, I, I would take it from you. <laughs> yeah. I would. I could use a I, car. I could use a car. Yeah. I I do all of this for you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> what are you doing? Turning down a car. Yeah. You know? And uh, and and that's that's a concept that we like to think of is we have choice and choice says, oh, you know, it's it's too. I, I don't need that. Thank you very much. I guess the thing about grace is that when we fully see what we're looking at mm-hmm. and comprehend the depth and the riches and the value, there is absolutely no way mm-hmm. you're going to turn down God's compassion and love for you. Yeah. And, and I think that one of the interesting things about to me about irresistible grace is you really have to grasp all of the other things we've talked about. They do, can, they do tend to build on each other, don't they? Right. I mean, you have to understand your condition, that yeah. whole depravity issue, that you are as bad off as you need to be to be separated from God. Hmm. Um, it, I, I often say when you're talking to people about knowing Jesus as your Savior, if, they don't, if you don't communicate the depth, and the, the depth of sin and how sin separates us from God, you're not getting anywhere because people will think that they're good enough. Right, right. right? So that you have to begin with that total depravity to understand the necessity of grace being irresistible. You, you have to understand the, uh, the offer of salvation as something that God does because we can't. Mm-hmm that whole unconditional uh, aspect. And and you have to understand that this is something special that you can't get anywhere else, the whole limited atonement or particular Mm. redemption concept. And then it can narrow down into this whole irresistible grace idea that says, wow, this is what God has done for me. And I remember when I got saved, which is like almost, it's half a century ago. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Which is pretty crazy, but I remember it. And, and the thing that I remember was how much, and we can have a conversation about that too, but I, I comprehended how much God had done for me that there was, there was no way I was going to turn that down. Right. 
it, it just, uh, you know, how many, how many times has Publishers Clearinghouse come to somebody's house and say, well, we're giving you <laughs> $29 you know, million, dollars, yeah, five, whatever. you know, and, and uh, they nah. say, nah, thanks, I'm, I'm good. good. I'm content. Yeah. yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who in their right mind offered something that they truly need is going, I mean, truly need. Right. You know, not a set of Encyclopedia Britannicas or... What's that? You, <laughs> yeah. You know, or a set of, uh, set of dishes or whatever. Yeah. You don't necessarily need those. Like on, uh, on the game shows when you get the... Um, Lovely parting gifts. The, li- the living room set instead of the car. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. it's even worse when you get a year's supply of rice <laughs> yeah. 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 Which, those always made me laugh. Like a year's supply of this thing. Like, all right. like So a box? I think I... I think I eat rice aroni once a year. Maybe, maybe. Like, maybe is yeah. that a year's supply, yeah, or is probably, this like yeah. enough to eat it every day? Like, yeah. And then who wants that? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. I digress. The other one was poppycock popcorn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah, nice. right. <laughs> yeah. So you know, those are things. Lovely parting gifts. You mm-hmm. know, this is not what God's grace is. God's grace is it's irresistible that God would, that God would show me favor that I didn't deserve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if I comprehended that I didn't deserve it, yeah. and if I comprehended that God was genuine mm-hmm. in what he was doing, and if I comprehended that this is the most amazing thing ever offered to me, ever in my life, how would I turn that down? Yeah. Yep. You know, I, I, I struggle with people who tell me that God's grace can be resisted. Yeah. Uh, it's like... If you're telling me God's grace can be resisted, you've never seen God's grace. Yeah. This is a, I, I think about, when we talk about the, um, this idea of adoption, right? Because that's in this too, right? Yeah. Like, with salvation and um, being, you know, not, not just, you know, once an enemy, now a friend, but once an enemy, now a family. And um, I was thinking about this in terms of the whole drama with the royal family that happens in England, right? With you know, there's a grandson now who and his wife who've decided to um, separate themselves, emancipate themselves from the royal family. And I think that's such a um, foreign concept to the average person. Largely, you know, not just because we're Americans and the whole thing is actually foreign, foreign to us. Very foreign. But yeah. the idea of being royalty and having at your disposal, all of the rights and privileges of being royalty and deciding "Mm, there's too much responsibility or drama with this for me, I'd rather not. And so there's this separation from that um, privileged state that makes the average person look at that and go, why? For, For Hollywood? Like, really? And, and, Which is the hilarious thing too, right? Because they're saying I'm turning down my privilege, so that I can have this other privilege. So that yeah, so that the privilege that will come because I had the privilege will be privileged to me. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, it's it's messy. I I get all of that, and even the analogy is a little messy. But I, I think the whole reason that it's it's offensive to me to watch this play out, because I like to think of this in terms of like actual royalty and actual privilege that comes with being adopted in the family of Christ. And it right. would be as if, you know, the, the royal family saw me and said, we would like for you to take his place. Like, you're in now. Oh, beautiful picture. You, you, 
you know, this has been refused, and we'll talk about refusal, <laughs> but this has been refused, but this, this, this extension of royalty and all of its rights and privileges are now toward you. Would you choose it? And I think the average person in England would be like, yeah, sure, right? Like, you know, the average person who's working a blue-collar job, like, I can live in any, any one of these palaces. This is all mine now. Like, I'm part of this. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take some of that. Are there some responsibilities in, like, the claiming of that title? Yes. Um, but, man, like, compared to where I am, what, what a gift this could be. Yeah. And, and that's with, like, yeah, I'm, a, I, I'm not, like, one of the royal, like, people that, like, obsesses over this. My, my wife really enjoys it. I think the extension of my interest is watching The Crown on Netflix. Um, <laughs> But like I, I, you know, I think watching from the outside in on that whole thing, especially from my American lens, I look at all of the mess and all of the ugliness in, you know, what might be in that family, and yeah, I, I don't want any of that. But we're talking about perfection when we're talking about the gift from God. Yes, like a you know, perfect this family is, with this, perfect love. Right. This like the 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 English royal family has always strived to do their best to pretend to be like God in a sense where they're going to live up to this righteous standard. So everybody has this ideal to look forward to. And, and it's been messy because they're all human and fallen people, but it's an attempt to look like what life is supposed to be, where we actually have this King that loves us perfectly and knows us perfectly and has extended to us those who have no right to the throne, the right to the throne. And uh, the right to be called sons, sons and daughters and yeah. have the title and have all of the privileges that come with it, but have it in perfection. And the, I think any person who is given that offer would look at that and say, yeah, as opposed to like what my life could be, I could have all of this. Yes, I will. Thank you. Right. And right. that could be our response. Right. And just so we don't miss this, I, 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 love, I love to make this paint painting very clear. A lot of people, and, and I've seen this, where people say, well, I'll accept Christ as my Savior because it will zero out my sin. And, and for them, it's, uh, it's only that God brings them from the negative on the ledger to a zero where they can try better mm. in the future. And that's, mm. not, that's not grace. That's mm. not irresistible grace by any means. What God does is, yes, he zeroes out right. your your account, he, he pays that in full, but then he credits you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, which it, it's kind of like, okay, I'm going it's, it's, to pay all of your college loans. Mm-hmm. I read about a woman this week who's upset because Joe Biden didn't pay off college loans, and huh. she owes $100,000 wow. on her college loans, and I'm like... I mean, I, I read this article and saw what she was doing for her life, and I said, man, maybe you should have actually gone for a real degree. Um, but he not only, you know, so all of those loans, right, it's like he's, he's paid those off in yeah. full, but then he also extends, he also hands me this, you know, this, this American Express black card that yeah. says, and now, you know, this is the family. What You're a part of this. Yeah, your name's on it, but it goes to my account. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's totally, completely paid. You are mine. And that, that, to me, should just make our brains just go... Yeah. 
like what he does is he, you know, he zero, you know, he zeroes out our bank, you know, our, our negative balance, but he actually closes our account and writes us into his. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's an even better picture. Right. Like we no longer have our own ledger. Like it's now we're, we're now playing with, with, with his, with his, yeah, ledger. And, and we have his unlimited resources of grace and, and mercy. And, uh, yeah, it, that's a life-changing thing. Yeah. Which is hard to refuse. Yeah. To- Who, who's going to turn it down? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, like, that idea, like, that, this is one of the ways I love, honestly, about this idea that comes from traditional Calvinism. That, you know, and that one, it just makes sense in my head, of course. Like, and, and we do tend to look around at people who, have, who seem to know all of the information about God and have been told the pathway to salvation um, who say no. Yeah. And then we look at that and we say, well, then <coughs> this idea of irresistible grace can't work because that person resisted grace. So what do you do with that? Yeah, but that isn't grace. That, that's just... Great, grace is God actually opening an individual's eyes to comprehend what is ahead of them. Mm. It's... Um, I, I use, I've used this illustration a lot, too. It's that moment in Field of Dreams. Spoiler alert, in case you're in a Field of Dreams it's fan. like 25 years old. I something. know. I hope that... But I, I talked to somebody... Too many people have not seen this movie. I talked to somebody a couple of weeks ago, and they didn't know the, didn't know the movie. And I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah. And, and we're, we're, what, three weeks away from Pitchers and Catchers, two weeks ago? I don't know. There's a lockout. Oh, we'll that's see. right. Pitchers and catchers usually reports next week, but next we'll see. week, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. Any great movie, Field of Dreams. Mm-hmm. Here's the spoiler. Kind of counting down from three. You can come back in a couple of <laughs> seconds. Thirty right? seconds. Yeah. Yep. So three, two, one. There's that amazing scene, right, where the brother-in-law who owns holds the mortgage for the bank is at their field, and he doesn't see anything, mm-hmm. but the. You know, the, the whole family, they see all of the baseball players, out, all of the greatest, greatest baseball players ever yeah. playing baseball, with the exception of Stan Musial, because he was a jerk. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, so they see them all out there playing. And then the daughter, mm-hmm. right? This is, this is a messianic moment in mm-hmm. this, right? The daughter falls off the bleachers, choking on a hot dog, and the one player walks off of the field basically surrendering himself right to bring this little girl to life right right and in that moment the brother-in-law suddenly sees the field where did all these players come from yeah do not sell this field ray right yeah it's total total change because his eyes have been open to what's going on because of the sacrifice of moonlight Graham. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So a huge messianic moment in that movie. And it's just, oh, yeah. we have to watch it. I know. Yeah. I, I watch it every year around this time. Yeah. It's just a yeah, required just viewing. Awesome. Yeah. But that's what grace is. Yeah. Right? Grace is, so let's, let's put some things in perspective. Here's, here's the issue with irresistible grace on some people's lives. And we were not going to do the whole podcast okay. on this. We're going to get it. I, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so here, here's the issue, right? The issue is, does my faith precede grace or does grace precede faith Hmm. because grace is the action of god Mm -hmm. to open my eyes to see what god has done for me Mm -hmm. faith is my reaction 
to what God has done to say, I will believe, even though I haven't seen all of the details, even though I don't know how it all happens, this is faith. I am going to step out and trust in God's grace. Mm -hmm. If you switch those around, if you switch it around to saying, I have to have faith first and believe in God, that God is going to save me, and then I see God's grace, then Grace is ir- then grace is resistible because it's resistible by your inability to actually have faith to believe. Yeah, yeah, right. So, so there, there is the crux of this question: is is grace first or is faith first? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think Scripture teaches me that grace is first. Yeah, I think so too. And it, it, it gets into well, this is there's some weeds on that one that we could really get ourselves buried into. We're talking about like, is it the genitive form or the dative form of Greek and you know, like which comes first? Like those are all, those are all like deep, deep inside the pastor study conversations. Right. But yeah, the, the, it's this is the grace of God or, you know, so you have all of those things that you start to wrestle with. And, but um, yeah, the belief is and what makes sense to me logically also is, that my almighty God, who has all of this power and authority in the world, would first reveal, and then I would act in faith in response to what he has revealed. Right. right. Um, otherwise, like I think, uh, man, it's a terrible thought to think that there are people, and this is where, this is where I have trouble with this, the, other, the flip side of this, that people would express faith and not see the response of the Father. And, and there, that my challenge with that is, like, if that's the case, if you could express faith in God and then God not respond with grace, then you know, I struggle based on what I see in Romans where nobody thinks about God or nobody, there's, right. we're right. all desperately wicked and where none of us are interested. It's like something in the Holy Spirit has to spark that. And so even in that circumstance, that his... His uh, grace is revealed because the Holy Spirit has sparked something in us to make us interested in who God is in the first place. And there you're back into irresistible grace. You're back into irresistible grace because God has shown you enough grace to move your faith. Right. 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 It's not always like the mind exploding, like, I can't believe God has revealed this thing to me. I must respond. Sometimes it is just the sparking of interest. And my friend has invited me to church. And have nothing else going on, and I like this person. Sure, I'll go, right? Even in that like brief moment, I believe that there is this revelation of God's grace to at least make you open enough to say, "Okay, I'll go," and then have this continued revealing of you know of grace over time. It's still grace that's irresistible because at the beginning, at that invitation, you decided sure instead of no. Right. Um, well, many years ago, I heard a story about a, a priest of Krishna huh. in India. Okay. And uh, Krishna is an interesting Indian god because he's actually the only monotheistic god in in Indian uh, theology. Mm-hmm. He, he actually, Krishna is, followers of Krishna actually follow a single god. They right. don't Not add like Hinduism. Not like Hinduism, right? So um, he was a priest of Krishna, and in his pursuit of Krishna, he, he found himself saying, there is only one true God, and I'm not sure that Krishna is he. Hmm. 
And he remembers, he, the story goes that he prayed and he said, God, tell me about the one true God. Hmm. And several years later, a missionary came to that village and was communicating with this priest of Krishna. And this priest of Krishna said, I've waited many years for you. I prayed and I asked God to send you my way. And here you are today. You are an answered prayer. Now, we had this conversation, yeah, right? Yeah, this, like cla- this is the classic this one is for the me. This is the classic conversation. Yeah. So you're sitting in your pew and you're at a service that your friend has invited you to. And at the end of the service, the pastor has, or the worship leader, somebody up front has said, if, you know, the whole, the classic with everybody's eyes closed and everybody's heads bowed, no one is looking around, even though like everyone under the age of 12 is looking around. Um, you know, would you be, would you slip your hand up to respond to this, you know, to respond to the gospel, to, to put your faith in Jesus, pray like this, right? And we'll, you know, we will offer a sample prayer, right? And then at the end, you know, in some of the classic churches, you know, if you've made a decision today, would you, would you, during these 15 verses of Just As I Am, walk down the center aisle to come forward, all right? And you can pray with one of us, or you pray with a deacon or an elder, and, you know, to solidify this. So in that whole scenario, when were you saved? Were you saved when you confirmed it with uh, somebody who holds an office in the church? Yeah, yeah. Were right. you saved when you decided to stand up and walk down the aisle? Were you saved when you repeated the prayer in your mind when the pastor said it? Were you saved when you raised your hand? Or were you saved at that moment when the Holy Spirit quickened your spirit? And said, this is the right thing to do. You need to, do, you need to follow this. Yeah. Right. Right. And there's the point, right? Yeah. It's the point where the Holy Spirit communicates to you and says, this is the, this is the moment, follow me. Mm-hmm. And, and you choose to actually, and you, you make and that you choice. Respond. You respond yeah. to that choice, that, you know, that irresistible grace that God, you know. I, I think, um, I think you see that in um, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter eight. Sure. Yeah. You know, uh, because, uh, you know, God, commun- uh, God communicates through Philip to this man who's seeking, and his response is, his response to Philip, and act, the, the complication here, because there's, a, there's an addition in this text, yeah. right? Yeah. But the, the, the issue is that the man, says, the man says to Philip, hey, there's water here. What keeps me from being baptized? Mm-hmm. And, and if you read the original text, the, the oldest text, it doesn't say that there was this confession that this man had to make about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It just says that they went into the water and he baptized him and he was done. He was saved. He was saved in the chariot. Yeah. Ooh, so was he saved in the chariot? Yeah. Or was he saved before he ever got in the chariot because he was interested because he traveled all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem but he didn't have the answer in, in Jerusalem. Yeah. He had the answer when Philip finally brought it. Yeah. That's the great... You know, here's the issue. It's, it's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's grace through faith. Yeah. So here's God offering me irresistible grace. At some point, I still have to respond in grace. You still have faith. to respond. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you will respond. So that's the thing. Because who uh, wouldn't uh, respond? Right. And in the like in my scenario here, like in you know, at the end of the service, right? 
I'm not saying that you're saved the moment your pulse starts racing because the Holy Spirit starts tapping on your shoulder, but in the moment of response. Like, That's the moment. Then, then it is done. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's not that, like, I, somewhere in between the tapping on your spirit's shoulder and you're slipping your hand up to We're say that was We're talking nanoseconds. <laughs> somewhere really? in that range... Both, you know, both sides of this equation, so to speak, it's not really a good equation because all of the work is done on the other side of the equal sign. But, right. um, you know, somewhere in this process, both things have happened. The yes. grace has been extended and I have made the decision to respond. Yes. And ultimately, if we want to go and split the hairs or split the nanoseconds to figure out where that happens, we get to talk about Paul's mystery. But ultimately... The deed is done, and I have responded, and I I am part of the family of God now. Right, right. Yeah. The theological term of the week. Right. Yeah. It's, again, fun hair-splitting moment, but ultimately what we're looking for and what we're praying for and what we're hoping for in the lives of our friends is that this this experience happens for them where... They've met the whole. They've met the Lord, and they've responded in faith. Absolutely, and absolutely. That idea here, you know, it's a theological term of the week, which we can kind of close, but move into like the rest of this, like yeah. our responsibility here. Like we wanted to get to that conversation too, because we've hinted at this a bit in our sermon series lately. How do we? How do we share this? How do we share the gospel? How do we? You know, this idea of evangelism is really hard, I think, in our culture because our culture is gradually moving toward this concept of, you know, it's almost like a Mideast concept of you can, you're free to practice your religion. But you're not free to share it. But you're not free to share it. Right. And so we are kind of allowing ourselves to be placed in that spot. But practicing, I believe, practicing our faith is actually sharing it. So this is an interesting hair split because there, it's been a, there's actually a political issue here. Hmm. Um, and it's a political issue that has made me very, very, very uncomfortable for the last 20 years. Somewhere along the line, um, politicians changed the concept of the First Amendment here in the United States from freedom of religion to freedom of worship. It, I think it may have begun its kickoff in, uh, in FDR and Franklin Roosevelt. And and I think that it was very, a very innocent changeover mm-hmm. uh, in FDR from freedom of religion to freedom of worship. But over time, that term has changed dramatically. We, we're not going to get to evangelism today. We need to, I think we need to wrap a couple of weeks out of this. Okay. okay. Um, so you get this change, and in that change, somewhere here, uh, I would say within the last 20 years, you had uh, a, you had some politicians in the last twenty years who never talk about freedom of religion; they talk about freedom of worship. And and that freedom of worship concept boxes Christianity in because our religion is not just worship. Hmm. All right, now there's a point. There's a point here where we can go to Romans 12 and say that my surrender of my life every single day to Jesus Christ 
and rededication to him is my spiritual form of worship, Romans 12, 2. Mm-hmm. But my practice is more, and that's what the word religion means, my practice, my, my habit, my, my lifestyle is more than my worship. It's everything that I do. Yeah. And, and that means that we as Christians, as true believers in Christ, we're, we're not just, we shouldn't be just free to worship. We need to be free to practice our religion. This is interesting, because I think like we, we're as guilty of this shift as anyone else. I, I feel like late 90s, early 2000s, it became really popular. I think this is like my youth group era where it became really popular to say it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Yeah, that's something it's it's been going on for a long time, but right? that's really like 70s probably, right? That that is kind yeah. of that's a celery seed under my upper plate, you know? <laughs> like that it's not religion, it's religion. I love the sentiment behind it, right? Like yeah. because you I, the idea of religion is like we we've pulled out this like dr- the the concept that religion is drudgery. It's almost this meaningless. anti-Catholic. It's meaningless. It's like this anti-Catholic move that we probably did at some point. Well, it's anti-dead Protestantism. Uh, that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where we're saying like, ah, oh, the rote um, like repetition of um, phrases or chants or like action is dead. And we don't want that. We're not, we don't want to associate with any of those things. We know Jesus, we love Jesus, and we're going to walk with Jesus like we would any friend or any mentor or any other person. It's relationship, not religion. Religion is dead. Relationship is alive. And yeah. we've done that, but it also allows us to slide closer in this idea of worship. And, you know, well, that relationship is worship. I you know all these, but ultimately we do actually belong to a religion. There are disciplines and practices that we have put into place. And the religion of Christianity does incorporate not just our worship and not just our relationship with the Lord, but also our daily discipline right. and our actions and the things that we actually do regiment into our lives as a discipline. For example, I belong to the religion of toothbrushers. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. it's uh, it's something that I do on a on a regular basis, for which many in the world are very grateful, and 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 I also, you know, point out that there are there are millions in our world um, who are not part of that religion, and truly, we need to we need to you proselytize that concept yeah. uh, around the world that yeah. brushing your teeth is a good idea, you know, and uh, yeah, you can usually tell, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, it, it, it's. The word religion just means practice or yeah. discipline or habit. Yeah. Right? So so that's one of the... We don't like those ideas, though. I, that, I think we're, we're really phobic of those concepts of discipline and habit. Like, the idea of that. Like, we want freedom. We really, really want personal agency, where we get to wake up in the morning and decide exactly how we are going to function throughout the day. That's true. And... Yeah. Um, and so the idea that we would have, I mean, just discipline's hard. Whether it be the discipline of opening, or cracking open your Bible at some point during the day, or the discipline of, um, I don't know, showing up to church on a regular basis and not just deciding like, oh, well, at least I got there twice this month. Like, we really struggle with this idea, we do. It's with true. This idea of discipline in our faith. And some personalities are opposed. You know, we, we have personality issues here too, right? Mm-hmm. So... 
For example, there are some people in our world who are very, very patterned. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, and they love it. And, and if you break them out of their pattern, they are, they are totally, completely lost. They struggle with it. Yeah. They, uh, these, these are the people who, um, you know, work until they're 65 years old and die two months later after they retire because they don't have their job to they don't have their job to give them significance and the ritual of getting up at five in the morning getting out at 6 15 stopping at at dunkin donuts to pick up their extra large coffee uh, they don't have that whole routine in their lives and their routine has circumscribed them Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. we're not talking necessarily about that right but there are people like that there are other people who just they are just free spirits. Yeah, yeah. But even a free spirit follows a pattern. Yeah, we which, all do. Which most of those free spirits out there, and I tend to think of myself as a free spirit. I, 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 most free spirits, if you really analyzed their day, they have a very specific routine that they follow. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's very much like contemporary Christian worship. <laughs> you know. We uh, we we get rid of you know we got rid of a whole bunch of things and said we're we're going to do this differently you know and we're not going to sing we're not going to sing, s- sing four hymns and do an offering and go to a sermon every week yeah yeah, yeah. so instead we sing uh, four Christian choruses do an offering and go to a sermon every week <laughs> yeah. yeah so you know, it's it we we naturally gravitate to some kind of pattern mm-hmm. religion is a pattern yeah religion is a way of life. Right. And that's actually what Scripture talk calls about us. It's not... It's not just your relationship. That's the thing. Like, and I think that puts these too much are all, power in your hands. These are all reductionary ideas, right? Yes. It's like the idea of it, it's just about your relationship with Jesus and nothing else reduces the richness of what it is to be a believer. And doesn't it really and put it in your hands? Like I it said, does. You're right. It like, says, I'm in control of this relationship. Which, yeah. I mean, that's... We could run down... We we're already down three rabbit holes. We could add a fourth with that one. Yeah, but, did we just talk about irresistible um, grace? Yeah. Just, so, um, yeah, that, that's totally one. Yeah. It does put it in hands, but any of these ideas, um, the, the, moving it to just worship and your freedom to worship, which is where we, you know, started rolling down this path. Even that reduces the richness of what it is to be a believer. It means you have one day a week that you're actually a Christian, right? Right. Or if you're, you know, if you listen to Caleb, maybe you know you get to Ooh, add that in, right? Because yeah. that could, yeah. Or, or if you listen to this podcast, even right, like yes, perhaps, perhaps like. We're better than Caleb. I hope. Perhaps something like that has happened in this conversation pointed your eyes toward the glory of God and his richness and his majesty, and you've had to hit pause to thank him for for his for his might and his grace in your life. Like that's a great moment of worship, but you actually sitting and listening to this conversation isn't necessarily just worship. It's it's more than that. It's discipleship, hopefully. hopefully. It's information at best, yeah. or at worst. I don't know. Um, it's it's conversation about Jesus. And yeah. that doesn't necessarily fit into worship. It can, but it doesn't have to be reduced to that box. No. it Again, what we're looking at is we're moving people. We would like to believe here is at, at Marsh Corner, and I think that most pastors of an evangelical persuasion would say this. Our objective is not is not just developing your relationship. It is developing your 
way of life into a pattern or a religion that demonstrates your relationship with Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Founded upon my relationship with Jesus. Absolutely. And these are all of the things I do because of that relationship with yeah. Jesus. So it's not to say that any of these phrases or t-shirt slogans are wrong, right? It is about the relationship with Jesus over the religion. Yes, it starts with the relationship with Jesus, which was irresistible. And it, go, it builds out of there, though, this lifestyle that, can, that incorporates meaningful worship, but doesn't just stop at meaningful worship. It also extends to the disciplines that I build into my life. And it extends beyond those disciplines to incorporate my willingness, not just my willingness, my desire to tell others about this discipline and this worship and this relationship that I have embraced. My compulsion. Mm. There's a word for you that you don't normally associate with speaking about Jesus. Paul says that he's compelled to speak. Yeah. He can't help it. Yeah. I was reading. I was reading um, Acts. It was Acts twenty twenty six twenty somewhere in there. The, the moment where the moment where Paul is um, he's in he's in the temple. He's made his sacrifice. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of uh, Greek Jews who are there who say, "Oh, that's that Paul guy. He must have he must have his Greek friends here. He must have defiled the the, the temple." And mm-hmm. there's this big to do. The Romans have to come down and grab him and pull him out. As they're pulling him out, he says to the Roman centurion who's, who's taking him out of the, the temple mount, he says, he says, let me speak to them. And I'm like, I, I'm reading this this week, and I'm saying, Paul, no, no, don't do it. And he, he turns around, and he, he quiets all of this crowd that wants to kill him, <laughs> and, and he shares Jesus with them because he needs to, and in the process of sharing Jesus with them, he shares he shares the reality that he's going to be resurrected with Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden it sets the Sadducees against the Pharisees, and they're fighting with one another, and it's like, Paul, why did you do that? Couldn't help himself. He couldn't help, exactly. Yeah. How many of us are like that when it comes to sharing Jesus with yeah. our world? Yeah. I was... I was talking about this to my wife yesterday. I had, uh, I spoke at the chapel um, at uh, my daughter's uh, school yesterday morning, and and I do this thing when I speak at a new venue or a new place, where especially with students, whether it be little kids or high schoolers, where I'll I'll t- I'll start off by saying like, "You don't know me, and I don't know you, so let's play a game. Like, you can ask me any question you want, as but I will also in return ask you a question about yourself." And it's great. It always opens up the floor. It gives me a great chance to connect with the audience. It's, it's a fun little trick. So those of you who are speakers, you can definitely use that. It, I'll tell you why it works some other time, but it works. Use it. Um, but one of the kids asked me, I was telling Kim later about this, one of the kids asked me what I do with my free time. And I laughed and I said, I don't have free time. Um, and a reason for that is I participate in this, like, you know, this sport activity of triathlon and I did an Ironman last year and we were, we were joking about that later that like just doing an Ironman compels you to have to tell people that you've done an Ironman and like it's just a rule like once you've done the thing like you have to just talk about it the rest of your life and it's like being a vegan or being in a CrossFit or any other number of things like you just 
any circumstance comes up, like the first thing you talk about is, oh, I do this thing. And, you know, that, that is how you should know me by. Our compulsion, like those are all compulsions because yes. of interests yes. and passions. Our compulsion should be, hey, I know we just met, but let me tell you about Jesus because this thing, like this is life-changing. And, I, and this has changed fundamentally who I am. And I, I think it would help you too. Like that, that is... That is the outpouring of this passion that we should have for our faith. Right, right, right. So just kind of hitting a little bit of a cultural thing, but what our culture has told us is that that's wrong. Yeah, yeah. There are acceptable compulsions and there are unacceptable. Yeah, yeah. Ones. So talking about, talking, about the, talking about your favorite baseball team, which is still locked out, is, is okay. Yep. Um, even if you aren't a supporter of the local baseball team, uh, present company, yeah. um, <laughs> it, it's okay, you know, it's, it's okay for you to start that conversation and get everybody in, in your location angry with you because yeah. you support a different baseball, football team. It's okay. Right, because ultimately it's fun. Right. That feels fun, and it's acceptable. But to talk about Jesus... Now we're talking about ultimate things. Yeah. It, it, it really does. It shifts the gravity of the conversation, really. Yes. It moves it from something that's hobby that we sort of pay attention to, but we know no one really does a great job of paying attention to, to something that determines ultimately who you are and where you're going and what, what your life is about. So there's definitely a, it's definitely weightier to talk about my faith than it is to chat about my athletic pursuits. Right. Um, right. But I think the idea that we, the example we get from Paul and the idea that comes out of this being our religion and our faith and our practice and our compulsion is that we are, yeah, that we're now compelled to share about ultimate things because they're, they're ultimate things. They're so much bigger. Like yeah. they're so much more important than the weather. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so much more than my practice. You know, th- there's, there's the deal, right? If your religion is a practice that is meaningless and empty, mm. then there's nothing really to talk about. Mm. If the grace of Jesus Christ in your life has changed the way you live, then it's something worth talking about. I think you just hit like a really key point on this, right? I, I think for a lot of us, when you say like you need to have you need to have a conversation with your friends about Jesus, we don't know where to start because we don't know where we are, right? And we don't actually have enough going on in our faith to be able to share anything meaningful. It's it's the problem with meeting somebody who you're Facebook friends with, but you haven't seen them in like five years. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like you actually get together for a dinner and you sit across the table from one another and you're like, well, I kind of know about all the big stuff that's going on in your life because we follow each other and like each other's posts. So I don't really know what to say. I, you know, I, we've been in those moments. I think for a lot of us, though, like we don't have enough going on in our spiritual lives to be able to actually have something to say yeah. when it comes to sharing our faith with somebody else. Yeah. It's... It's empty. Yeah. There's no, there's, we don't have the stories of God's... We don't have recent stories of God's movement because we haven't been looking for them, if we're going to be honest. We've been distracted. 
we don't have great stories of transformation that's come because of our time in Scripture, because we've actually not been very good about time in Scripture, because if you're reading through the Bible in a year, you've hit, like, the tabernacle building point at this point, and that gets kind of dry. And so, like, you, you, we get to these points where we're like, ah, I'm not sure what to say. I don't know. How, like, it's, it's awkward to just ask somebody if they think they'll be in heaven if they die tonight. Um, well, sh- you know, so we say, well, share your personal story because people can't really, you know, it's hard to argue a personal story, but a lot of us are like, I'm not sure what's going on lately personally with God because I'm So this is, kind of the, this is kind of the homework in this, from this podcast. I, I would like to, I'd like to revisit this next week. I'd, I'd like to revisit this whole concept of evangelism, how we do it. Yeah. But maybe the homework is, um, before you can talk to others about Jesus, you need to talk to yourself about Jesus. Hmm. Who is Jesus to you? Mm-hmm. What, what has Jesus done for you? What has, been, what has Jesus been doing in your life lately? I think that I think that there's an analysis, a self-analysis, uh, um, an evaluation, if you will, that needs to go into all of our lives. We have this responsibility of sharing Jesus with the world. Maybe it's time that you share Jesus with yourself. Yeah. Not in a not in a salvation way. You, you got that. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Who's Jesus? Mm-hmm. That's a, um, a prayer with my girls on the way to school every day. And my prayer frequently is that they would, that we would all, not just them, but that I, m- myself also, would see Jesus move in a certain way today. Right? That we would see Jesus move and we would recognize it as him. I mean, that, that's, that, honestly, that's a, that's, a, that's a prayer that I pray almost daily, that, that, I, that I would actually recognize his movement in my day. And uh, maybe that's a place to start. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good idea that your prayer for the next week every day be Jesus I want to actually I know you I know you work because I know who you are and I know how you function I know that you didn't just set the world spinning and step back from it I know you're intimately involved in all of the details of my life so today could you show me because I'm an easily distracted person so today would you show me something that is you specifically so that I could worship you for it and marvel for it, marvel at it and share it with a friend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let's go with that. Yeah, I, I want to come back to this next week. I'm writing it in my notes. We'll come awesome. back to this idea. I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, thanks yeah. for joining us this week. It's it's and I love the I love the podcast episodes that end up somewhere entirely different than where we planned. So thanks for riding along with us today. We'll uh, we'll see you back here uh, next week. Bye, everyone. You have been listening to Inside the Pastor Study Podcast with Pastors George and Jeremy Stevens. Artwork by Caitlin Gallagher. Music by San Demetrius. And engineering help from Ashley Gallagher. To find out more about us, head to marshcorner.com.